hopeless. There's been times in my life where I've felt like a black cloud was hovering over me, and I couldn't shake it no matter how hard I tried. Things just weren't going to change. Whether it was my anxiety and mental health struggles that led to the point of me having to get shock therapy on my brain, whether it was my brother being in such a, a low place that he attempted to take his own life, whether it's realizing the state of my parents' marriage and how bad it is. There's been several moments throughout my life, I could go on and on and on, where it's hard and it just feels like this isn't going to change. This is not going to get better. And it, it feels discouraging. At times I felt numb. Um, just kind of experienced despair, honestly. Um, and obviously this isn't something that's unique to me. This is not something that I just struggle with. In fact, we live in a nation of people that feel hopeless. Uh, there's one study that was done recently that said that seven out of every 10 Americans believe that there will not be positive change in their lifetime. Seven out of every 10 Americans, it's not going to get better. It's not changing. They don't have any hope for the future of our nation. Another study was done this year that found that 29% of teenage boys and 57% of teenage girls feel persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. Our teens really feel this right now. Uh, and so if we were to go around the room this morning and if we just you know, had enough time to give everybody a chance to talk and we listen to one another and if everybody was to get real honest, I think that many of us would be able to say, yeah, I felt hopeless before or I'm feeling hopeless right now. And so the question that I want to raise this morning for us is pretty simple, but it's this. How can we experience hope? How can you and I, how can we experience hope? Now here's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking how can I experience wishful thinking? So for example, I'm, I'm not asking like, you know, saying something like, man, I hope that the weather's going to be good tomorrow. Or I hope mom's making mac and cheese for dinner tonight. Or I hope that Brentsville will beat Gainesville in the scrimmage this Thursday. <laughs> Helps to have the mic last. Oh no, she's coming back up one more time. Oh gosh, where's Allison? Uh, hope she didn't hear that. Um, so I'm not talking about wishful thinking, right? I'm talking about a settled certainty where you're convicted and you know things aren't good right now, but I can endure these things and I'm eventually going to overcome these things. Things will be better. I'm asking how can we have that kind of hope? And the good news is, is that I don't have to come up with the answer for us or else we'd be in trouble. But God, the God of the universe, has told us how we can have hope. He's already given us the answer. So we're going to open up the Word of God this morning and discover how you and I can experience hope. If you've got a Bible, open with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We don't know a lot about the book of Hebrews, so we don't really know who wrote it or when they wrote it or who they wrote it to. <laughs> There's a lot of questions, but what we can piece together from reading the whole letter, a couple things we know is that this was probably written to Christians who had formerly been Jews. So they were Jewish Christians, believed Jesus was the Messiah. And they were undergoing 
uh, some persecution and imprisonment for their faith in Jesus. And things weren't just hard. There wasn't just a black cloud that hovered over them. But some of those Jesus followers who professed faith in Jesus, because things had gotten hard, they had actually turned their back on Jesus. They no longer followed Jesus. And so that's the kind of situation that this group of Christians was experiencing. So with that context in mind, we're going to pick up Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. Let's pause here. So what... (laughs) What things was the author speaking like? Well, just before this, he had talked about the consequences of turning their back on Jesus and that they would experience God's wrath. A scary warning had just been given. But he says, I know I just spoke like that and gave you a scary warning, but dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. So we believe You're not going to experience God's wrath. We believe you're going to experience God's salvation. When Jesus returns from heaven to earth and God judges the living and the dead, we believe God's going to deliver you, that God's going to make things right for you. Why? Why did he believe that? Here's why. God is not unjust. Because of the character of God, the author told these group of Christians, we believe you're going to be saved. Why? Because God is not unjust. He will not forget your work And the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. He's saying, guys, look, your faith in Jesus has led you to love God's people, to serve God's people. And you're doing that because you love God. And God is just. He's going to honor that. He sees your faithfulness to him. He's going to save you. So then he continues, verse 11. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. Why? So that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So the author said, look, you've been loving God's people, working for God's people out of your love for God. Great, that's awesome. But show this same diligence, not just some of you, but all of you. Show that same diligence to the very end, to the end of your life, or to the the moment that Jesus returns, be diligent. And he gives them these two options. He says, look, you're either going to be diligent or you're going to be lazy. Which one is it? He said, we don't want you to be lazy. We want you to be like the people who have inherited what God's promised, his salvation, the new heaven, the new earth, all things being made new through faith and patience. We want you to be diligent to the very end. So the problem was that some of the people in this, this church, this group of Christians, had started to become lazy. They had run the race well in the beginning. They loved God, loved his people, and then they started to slow down. And there's consequences when we do that. In fact, check this video out and see for yourself. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. The Oregon runner, he ran so well. He was winning. 
He, the whole race, he ran with all his might. And then at the very end, he pulled up. He started to celebrate. And he got beat by one-tenth of a second by the Washington runner. This is what the author is trying to tell this group of Christians. He's saying, guys, you've loved God. you loved his people. Great. Be diligent to the very end. Don't pull up. And if you and I are going to experience hope in the midst of our dark clouds that we feel like we can't get out of, this is what we've got to do. We've got to be diligent to the very end. You don't have to answer this out loud, but let me just ask you, if you were to describe where your face at right now, would you say that you're lazy or diligent? When you think about your time in the Word, lazy or diligent? When you think about loving relationships, whether it's expressed in a life group or in other ways with people of this church family, lazy or diligent? When it comes to serving and working for this body of believers here, setting up, tearing down, helping put on events, whatever it is, whatever that looks like, lazy or diligent? When it comes to sharing your faith, with people in your spheres of influence, lazy or diligent? Where are you at right now? Because I believe that there's a correlation between people who are lazy and the amount of hope that they feel. See, I know in my own life, the times that I've been lazy, I've started to actually feel more hopeless. The times that I've been diligent in my life, in my faith, I've started to feel more hope. Because I'm, I'm sensing God's presence. I'm sensing God's favor. I'm sensing I'm going somewhere with God. And ultimately, I know that God loves me and will reward me. So what about you? Do you need to start going to bed earlier? Stop watching some crummy TV show or Netflix show, whatever it is. Look, I do it too, okay. But do you need to go to bed earlier to wake up earlier to read the Bible daily? Do you need to, as we're talking about getting into life groups, say, oh, you know, life groups, I go to church on Sunday. Or do you say, I need relationships. I'm going to commit the time. I'm going to make it a priority. What do you need to do to keep being diligent? Not just part of the way, not just most of the way, but to the very end. till either Jesus returns or till you die. Will you be diligent to the very end? So the author of Hebrews starts there. And then picks back up in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. You get that? God swore an oath by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by some, someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to who? To the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So the Hebrew author says, I want you to be diligent to the end imitate people who have faith and patience and inherit what's been promised. And then he gave them an example, maybe the best example of someone who did just that, and it was Abraham. Everyone in this church would have known who he's talking about. So roughly 
2,100 years before Jesus, God meets with a guy named Abraham. And they come out under the stars like this. Here's a picture. I think of Lion King when they're out under the stars. That's kind of what I think of. But imagine Abraham and God. They're out under the stars. And, and, and God says, Abraham, I know that you're old. I know that your wife Sarah can't have kids. But I'm going to give you a child. And I'm not just going to give you a child. I'm going to give you more children than the stars in the sky. Count them, Abe. Look up there. How many do you see? And just imagine being in Abraham's shoes and what he must have felt. That the God of the universe is pointing up into the sky and saying, look at all of those stars. You're going to have more children than these stars. What did Abraham do at that moment? He believed God. He trusted that what God said was actually going to happen. And so because he believed and because he had patience and waited, he had a child. Does anybody know how long that he had to wait before he had Isaac? Just yell it out. How long do you think? 17 years? 40? 25 years. Sean knows because his son's named Isaac because he had a similar situation in which he and Lindsay, his wife, didn't know if they'd be able to have a child, and God answered that prayer miraculously. That was really cool. I'm glad that that worked out like that. Um, 25 years. Think about that. I would be 55 years old. I'm just thinking through. 25 years from now, I'm 30. I'd be 55 years old. Think about how much patience you'd have to have to wait that long. God made a promise to Abraham. But check this out. This is really cool. Not only did God make a promise to give Abraham a child and as many children as stars in the sky, God swore an oath. God promised by his self, I'm going to do this. I swear to you, I'm going to do this. Now, why did he do that? A couple reasons. One, because God wanted to make it very clear, hey, this is a settled deal. It's going to happen. Think about it. If I this morning was to say, I'm not saying it, but if I was to say, hey, guys, after service, come see me in the back. I'm going to give everybody a $100 bill. Would you trust that I would actually do that? Don't, don't answer that. Now, what if I said, I swear that if you come to the back, that I'll give you a $100 bill. See, that, that shifts it because now my character is at stake. When I swear like that, not just promise I'll do it, but I swear, now my character is at stake. And God says, I swear, it's done. It, we don't even have to argue about it. It's going to happen. Another reason that he did it, you might be wondering at this point, you might be thinking, well, Preston, we're trying to talk about hope. I need hope today. I, I, I've got this health diagnosis that I'm going through. I've got a broken relationship with people I care about the most. I, I'm struggling financially. I, I need hope. And you're talking about a 4,000-year-old promise and an oath. What does that matter for me? Because God wanted to demonstrate the unchanging purpose of this promise to the heirs of what was promised. He didn't just make a promise and swear an oath to fulfill it to Abraham alone. He did it for the heirs of what was promised. 
So Bible trivia question. Who in here uh, is Jewish by birth? Raise your hand if you're Jewish by birth. Okay, I don't think anybody in here is Jewish, right? Okay, I'm not Jewish. All right, now raise your hand if you are a part of Abraham's family. Raise your hand. Wait a minute. Hold on now. Hold on. No, y'all aren't Jewish. You can't be a part of this family. Wait a minute. Yeah, you know the answer. Yeah, you can. How? Because the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of Abraham, you now have been spiritually grafted into his family. You are a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And so when you look up at that picture and you see the stars in the night, and God tells Abraham, I'm not just going to give you a child. I'm not just going to give you a family. I'm not just going to give you a nation, the nation of Israel. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. How did he do it? He did it when people from every nation, tribe, and tongue around the globe put their faith in Jesus the Messiah. You are one of those stars. That's you. That's me. We're the many nations. And so when God made a promise and swore an oath, he's telling you and me, I'm going to change things. Your life is not going to stay this way. Ultimately, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to restore. I'm going to make things right. But here's what you and I have got to do. We've got to wait patiently like Abraham. If we're going to inherit the promises of God, if we're going to be blessed to bless all the families of the earth, if we're going to inherit the land, if we're going to be part of the spiritual family from every nation, tribe, and tongue, we got to wait. we gotta, we got to wait. And in our instant gratification culture where, I don't know about y'all, if it doesn't have a drive through I'm not going in, okay? I stop over the sheets over by our house, and, like, it's got a drive through I get my Gatorade, go to practice. I'm not getting out of my car, taking time. Like, that's just the kind of people we are, instant gratification. And what God is saying through this author to us today is, guys, I've made promises and sworn an oath to you to make things new and right, but it's not going to be instant. They got thrown in jail. Some of them got killed for their faith in Jesus. And yet they look forward to what was coming in the next life. You might not get what you want in this life. Y'all tracking with me? God has not promised to make everything right for you in this life. But he has promised to make things right and good and new in the next life. But we've got to wait patiently like Abraham. So we've got to be diligent to the end. We've got to wait patiently like Abraham. The author continues, verse 18. God did this. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God did this so that we could be greatly encouraged. He made this promise. He swore an oath. Why? So that those of us who have fled to seek refuge in Jesus, we can have courage, courage to live through what we're going through. The promise and the oath give us courage. And the hope that we have in Jesus, the author says, is an anchor for the soul. It's firm and secure. 
So let me ask you guys this. Why anchors? Why are anchors necessary? Somebody yell it out. What's the point of anchors? What, what do they prevent? What do they help do? Do what? To keep a boat in place. So what happens if the boat's not in place? What would be the negative? It drifts. So number one, an anchor keeps a boat in place so it doesn't drift. What's another reason we need anchors? If a bo- and it could happen when the boat drifts, but ultimately, well, I guess it would have to happen with the boat drifting in some sense, a boat could hit rocks. If it moves, a boat could hit, hit rocks, it could hit something else, and it could sink. You could be shipwrecked, and you could die. If you're on a boat, you don't want to die. So you need an anchor to make sure you don't get hit into something else and sink and die, right? So how does it work? When the captain's ready to lower the anchor, uh, they drop it, and there's this big, long chain. So if the boat is way over here, this chain comes all the way out, and it begins, depending on how heavy this anchor and the chain is, obviously, some are tons, but uh, this chain, this big, long chain, it's going to start to lay uh, on the seabed. And so there's some weight, like, from the chain, right? There's just the chain on the ground. That, that, that is part of holding it in place but then you've got the flukes right you got the pointy teeth looking part of the anchor and the flukes will dig into the the ground right and so it's because it digs in that now the boat is secure it's safe it's firm it's not moving it's not going to drift it's not going to be shipwrecked right here's the picture that the the author of hebrews gives you and me you and I are going to go through the storms of life. We're going to have bad things happen. Challenges are going to come. But unlike people who aren't followers of Jesus, who are just on the open sea and they're out there just getting tossed around, we have this hope. We have it as an anchor for our soul so that you and I are safe and secure and firm and we're not going to drift. We're not going to be shipwrecked in our faith. In fact, you and I have been tethered, not just to any anchor, but you and I are on this earth. We're here right now, and we have a chain that runs all the way into the presence of God in heaven. See, you and I are connected to Jesus, our anchor, our forerunner, meaning someone who goes ahead, and then eventually the others will come. So Jesus has entered into the Holy of Holies. He's gone behind the curtain into the the presence of the living God. So what does that mean for you and me? It's certain. It's settled. You're going to see God face to face one day. Even when you're going through the hard stuff, you have this hope for your soul. Jesus holds me firm and secure. I won't be moved. I won't be shaken. I'm going to be in the presence of God. So you've got to believe this. You've got to believe, man, through faith in Jesus. I've got this hope. I've come to him for refuge. I'm not going to drift. I'm not going to shipwreck. Shipwreck, And I'm going to see God one day because of Jesus. So we've got to be diligent to the end. We've got to wait patiently like Abraham. And we've got to believe that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So I want to give us a couple minutes to write down what you hear God saying. What do you need to do? If you need to be diligent to the end, write that down. What does that look like? What does being diligent look like for you? Bible reading, getting in a group, serving, 
sharing your faith. If you need to wait patiently like Abraham, um, just write down, I need to be patient about this issue. I need to be patient about this relationship. I need to wait. Uh, when it comes to believing that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, man, maybe, maybe you need to start to read some verses about Jesus and about what he's accomplished and about his spirit and what he, he's doing in us so that you can have more assurance, so that you can have more courage. Um, whatever that looks like, just think about now what? What am I going to do in response to what God said? And then finally, who can I share this with? Who needs to hear a message of hope? So go ahead, write that down. How can we have hope? Ultimately, it comes back to that anchor that we have. It comes back to Jesus. You and I can experience hope because Jesus died. Jesus died on the cross. And think about it. It's not like this was some casual thing or like, oh, he's God, so he didn't experience how hopeless that moment was. He's a high priest who can empathize with us in every way. He knows what it's like to feel these kinds of feelings. Why? Because he's hanging on a cross and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that moment. How dark, literally, the sky became dark. A dark cloud hovering over Jesus on that day. And it's because of the death of Jesus where he took our sin and our shame and our guilt on himself. And he offered a better sacrifice than the blood of bulls and goats. He offered his own blood. Jesus paid that price for us so that we could have hope. Our hope is only in Jesus. And on that day when that happened, the disciples of Jesus, they're looking around and they're thinking, we thought this was the guy. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to overthrow the Romans and he was going to be our king and, and he's dead. And that black cloud hovered over them. Imagine how hopeless they felt. Our leader is dead. And yet on the third day, on a Sunday morning, just like this, God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus was seen by over 500 people on multiple occasions before ascending back to the Father where he's seated at his right hand. And one day Jesus will return to make all things new, to fulfill all of his promises. And so if you're not a Christian today, if maybe a friend or family member invited you, if you're not a Christian today, you're not going to have hope in anything else. You're not going to have hope in any of our political leaders. You're not going to have hope in your success or your career or your money or whatever. You're, you're just not going to have hope because all that stuff fades. It all ebbs and flows, and it's not promised. So if you today want hope and you're thinking, i got to have hope that things are going to change, that things are going to be better ultimately for me, take hold of the hope set before you. Take hold of it. Stop living life the way you want to and say, God, I need you to save me. I need Jesus to change my heart from the inside out. I need your Holy Spirit to help me to live a different life, help me to be a different person, and ultimately to experience all that you've promised. So if that's you, you've got to take hold of Jesus by faith. Come to him. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how messed up your past has been. We all come broken and sinful to the cross. So this morning, uh, Chris is at the prayer banner. 
two things. One, if you want to follow Jesus this morning, you can go to Chris and just say, hey, I'd love to start the journey with Jesus. I want to have hope in Jesus um, and go see her. Also, if you just want prayer, we want to pray for you. We have the banner set up. We got a person back there. And I don't want y'all to feel like, oh, this is just, uh, we just go through the motions and we're supposed to do that, so we do it. No, we genuinely want to pray for you. We want to be there and support you, whatever you need. Uh, Chris would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you too. So if you just need any type of prayer, please go back there during the next song. Um, go back there during communion. Go back after service, whatever, however you want to do it. Just go back there and we'll pray for you. So let's pray now. Father, we love you. Lord, without you, we have no hope. But God, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have an unshakable hope, God. We know that even if things don't get better in this life, that ultimately, when you return, that we're going to experience your salvation. That you're going to wipe away all of our tears, that there won't be pain or suffering or death we won't have to share the same space as sinful wicked people you're making all things new and so God we believe your promise we trust your oath God help us to be diligent to the very end help us to run the race well and finish God help us in the meantime to have faith and to wait patiently like Abraham help us to wait and Lord give us encouragement knowing that we have an anchor for our soul, that we're safe and secure, that we're not going to drift, that we won't be shipwrecked. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.